Welcome back to the Serving Denton podcast. My name is Ian Harbour. I'm your host. And yes, that's right. It's a different name, but I did say welcome back. Before, this podcast used to be called the Serve Denton Weekly Podcast, and then we took a hiatus. We have not had an episode since last May, but we are bringing the podcast back, just not on a weekly schedule. It'll actually be on a monthly schedule now, so I can't call it the Serve Denton Weekly Podcast anymore. That wouldn't make any sense. So from now on, this is called the Serving Denton Podcast. So welcome. Welcome to new podcast, new year. It is 2022 and man, things have changed. Um, It feels like they've changed a lot, but also not a lot at all in the same way. It's a confusing time to be living in, no doubt about that. But we are back with people who are on the front lines of helping people who are the most in need in our community. And I'm going to be having conversations with them. We're going to be exploring what they do, what their organizations do, who they help, how they help them, how you can be involved with them. And we are kicking it off today with my first guest, Abby Germer, who is the executive director of Refuge for Women. And Refuge for Women works with women who have previously been in human trafficking, and they've rescued them out of that, and they're helping them through therapy, through all the trauma that they've been through, get back on their feet and begin to live normal lives again. And it's incredible what they're doing. And January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, which is why we wanted to have them on this month to have them share about who they are and what they're doing and the five most important things that you need to know about human trafficking. So let's just hop right into it. Here is my conversation with Abby Germer from Refuge for Women. I am back here with Abby Germer, the Executive Director of Refuge for Women. Abby, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yes, thanks for having me. So we're in January, January 2022, which anytime I say 2022, it feels like we're in the future. Um, (laughs) But January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. That's why I wanted to have you on to help make us more aware of human trafficking Um, there are lots of things out there to help us be aware of human trafficking in general, but what I love about what you do is it's really focused here on human trafficking in our area in North Texas in Denton County. And it's one thing to be aware of an issue at large. It's another thing to be aware of an issue here as it affects you locally. And so that's one of the things I'm excited to talk to you about today is we're going to be talking about the five most important things you need to know about human trafficking in North Texas. As people who live here in our community, how is this affecting us and where we live and and not just in general, but here locally? Yeah, so um, just to start off with a little bit of an overview of Refuge for Women and what we do is we're actually a long-term residential program for women who have been trafficked or exploited sexually. Um, And they can come into our program and they can go through a very structured, um, systematic program that will ultimately lead in to their um, healing their trauma. Um, We provide their medical, physical, basic needs, also counseling, um, anything that they need in order to have a place to come and heal from their traumatic events. And then our goal is to turn them around and set them in forward moving motion to be successful um, with 
a different story. And so we've been in Denton County for five years now, and we've definitely learned a lot over the years. And so I'm excited to get on here and share about where we are today and the progress we've made and things that we still have to get to go. Hopping into these five important things, what is one important thing that we should know about human trafficking here in North Texas? Um, I think through being in the community and just having conversations, one of the things that we come across frequently is that um, people having um, a hard time wrapping their mind around that trafficking does happen here in North Texas. Um, oftentimes, I think we want to acknowledge it and say, oh, yeah, that's something that's here, but it might happen overseas or um, it's something that doesn't necessarily affect our demographic or our population here in the North Texas area. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that it does. Um, you know, in 2021, we made a record number of referrals to local victims and without cries in need of local services. And so um, I um, have met with a lot of women who were either found on the street um, looking like they were needing in need of some help or had just been identified and recovered from high profile sting operations and talking to them about options that they have in order to get out and to get the help they need. So um, I think one of the big truths is that we do have a problem here in North Texas and that we don't need to bury our head and pretend like it's not here and um, just learn about it and not be afraid of it. It is an issue here. And I think, uh, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but it's not just that it happens here, but North Texas is one of the biggest, Texas. if not the biggest yeah, area where it happens, North, right? I will say Texas as a whole is number two in the nation for the number of calls made to the human trafficking hotline. Mm. Um, and so we are in a hot spot here in Texas. Yes. I know the 35 corridor is really important when it comes to this whole issue. It is very important, you know, and I think the 35 corridor is very important. And then just the accessibility that we have in Texas, um, even with Texas through the last couple of years with the, the pandemic, I was in a meeting yesterday um, with the Department of Homeland Security, and they were just talking about the rise that they have seen with COVID being um, something that has turned more women into looking for relationship and outside resources to help that unfortunately has wound them up in, in some unfortunate scenarios. And so, you know, I just think it is something that is, it is, it's a big problem here. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that's interesting. I was curious about how, you know, over the past two years, how COVID has affected human trafficking. Of all the things that you think of being affected by COVID and the pandemic, that's not the most immediate thing that comes to my mind, but I can imagine it would have a significant impact on human trafficking. Right. People have been very isolated the last couple of years and a lot of uh, sex buyers, um, it comes from a place of being lonely and unfulfilled. And so I think it has definitely, unfortunately, added uh, to the demand of the need to buy sex. Mm. It's tragic. It's tragic to hear how it's affected everything, but in this in particular. So number one is that human trafficking does happen here. Number two, what would that be? Uh, it's not necessarily by kidnapping. And so hmm. I think another false impression that we have is um, 
big white vans driving down the street, you know, swooping somebody off the street corner. Um, you know, there's been some scare tactic videos that have gone around of families eating lunch and somebody like hopping a fence and snagging a small child and taking them away. Um, and although that does happen, <clears throat> it is not the primary majority way that, um, that people get trafficked. Um, the average age of entry is 12 to 14. And it normally is more sustained through building relationships and trust. So most of the time people are trafficked by people that they actually know, whether that's a family member or somebody that they have spent a year or more getting in the process of getting to know them, which from a trafficker's perspective is called grooming. Um, but from a victim's perspective, they thought that they were entering into a relationship with somebody that was going to meet a need that they possibly had, whether they thought it was going to be their boyfriend or they were going to be able to, you know, save them from their dysfunctional home style or anything like that. Um, you know, I think a myth is they're kidnapped, but the truth is it's usually built over time with people they know developing a trust bond relationship that that keeps that cycle of attachment to a trafficker um, even more secure. <clears throat> mm, mm. It seems like the whole kidnapping scenario, even though it does happen, it's more rare. Um, it feels like that's more dramatic. It's more scary. I mean, the, the image of that is more scary. You know, you think of like Taken and <laughs> Liam Neeson right. and like that type of situation. Yeah. You know, but the being groomed by someone you trust over time, that seems way more insidious of a, of a thing because you don't really see it happening in real time. It's not a white van pulling up to your lunch table on the patio and snatching your daughter. Like it's, it's kind of invisible until it happens. Um, how, what are some ways you can maybe spot that process? Or if you know someone who, I don't know what, how would you intervene to prevent something like that occurring because it does seem much much harder to see on the surface yeah to identify um i mean a lot of the part of the process is really just starting to identify just some irrational change in behaviors from people that you might know um children that you might know um you know i just think when it, what i mean by that all of a sudden they they completely withdraw they're isolating they have um extreme mood changes um, another thing that some of our residents have even shared was um, they like to promise them and uh, reward them with material things. And so mm. maybe they have designer sunglasses, shoes, clothes, maybe even a designer car, um, depending on, you know, how long that they've been trafficked for. Um, but it all can be uh, manipulated with material possessions. And so if you see somebody that has some type of, you know, bougie design or something on, but it doesn't really kind of make sense with the lifestyle that you can notice from the outside, there's probably a reason to be suspicious there. Mm. Mm. That's, that is interesting. Yeah. How that can be like the, the grooming of that with material possessions and how that's given to them. And yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I can see how that would be a warning sign. Traffickers look for a need to fill in vulnerable people. 
And when they can fill that need and get that vulnerability dependent on them, then all of a sudden they have them locked into that cycle of trafficking. It's that dependency and the, the dependency. false sense of security. Correct. Yeah. Mm. Correct. So what would number three be? Um, number three, I think is a good lead way into, because once they have them in that cycle, um, they, um, manipulate and coerce them to continue to stay there through different forms of control. Um, that would be threats against family. That would be um, physical, uh, like abuse, um, mm -hmm. and you know, just things that uh, are are really, really, really hard to talk about, honestly. Um, and yeah. so with that, I would say a third thing is that we need to understand that these women um, have a quota to meet on a daily basis. And so um, trafficking as a whole is a billion, a $99 million industry in the DFW area alone. One of the reasons why is that a body is a reusable commodity. Um, I and anybody, so for example, for a woman who is being trafficked, they have a daily quota to meet. And if they need to make $1,500 a day, they need to go out and service at least this many clients that day in order to meet that quota. Um, and so it really is a sales game. Um, it's manipulatory, it's abusive, um, um, but like, it comes with reward through material possessions. Um, not necessarily the women don't get to keep that money. It all goes back into the traffickers hands. Um, and if they don't meet that quota, um, unfortunately there is some extreme punishment that happens and, and takes place. Um, and that's just, it, that doesn't fly in the trafficking world. <clears throat> Knowing that, I mean, obviously all of it is, is, absolutely horrible, but knowing that there's this quota involved, you can see how that trauma that these women go through just sinks more and more and more into them because it's not, it's not, it's so difficult to talk about these things, but yes. they're being used over and over and over again. I mean, be able to be talking about a body as a reusable commodity, the, the way that dehumanizes someone so much. I'm sure the women that you're dealing with are just, that you're working with are dealing with unspeakable traumas that they're having to work through. Yeah, I mean, the way that they survive all of that is through disassociation. They numb out with um, substance abuse, um, you know, and it definitely uh, adds to the level of compound trauma um, to them by the time they make it into our program. You're right. Mm. <clears throat> what are some ways that you work with these women through those things? Because I, I mean, this, like you said, they, in order to just cope with the trauma that they're having going through, they end up in all these other um, addictions and, and ways of coping that are, you know, unhealthy for them as well. That, that's a lot of layers to get through when you're trying to help these women get back to a normal life. Right. How, how are you working with them in order to help them through those things? We'll get right back to our conversation, but first, Serve Denton would not be possible without our business partners. Our business partners support us on an annual basis and make it easy for people to find help through their support. 
So for this episode, I want to say thank you to our business partners, Datku, Huffine Subaru, and Razor Ranch for their support in making not only this episode possible, but everything we do at Served It Impossible. Thank you for your support. And if you want to learn more about our business partnership and maybe become a business partner yourself, learn more at servedinorg slash business. All right, back to the conversation. Well, I mean, so our program is up to two years long, and that is one of the things that when we first opened, we were only nine months. But as we've learned and grown through the years, the appropriate amount of time to serve and walk alongside of them in a program setting, I mean, to serve and walk alongside of our our residents and our graduates is a lifetime commitment. Um, But while they're under our care, it does take about two years for them to be able to heal, regroup, and then re-enter. When they first come, it definitely, uh, our program is highly relational. And so uh, we don't have more than six residents in either one of our houses um, at one time. Um, And this is just so that uh, we're highly relational, very trust building. And it takes about four months for them to even begin to put their walls down to see that they're in a safe place that they can start to even begin to open the box to see exactly you know what it is that they all have that they need to work through and process through their trauma so really it's through trust-based relationships um, that we really work hard to establish with them and so that's why our staffing our volunteering and we really are vet those out really well because high turnover and volunteers to staff is not very healthy for somebody who is needing stability and long-term relationships in their lives. Um, And so that is one of the biggest priorities that I would say that we have at Refuge. Um, But we also meet their medical needs, their emotional needs. They go to licensed professional counseling once a week. We do group counseling once a week. after they've been in our program for a year and they work through over 30 books of curriculum, um, we start to focus on job skills and job training. Um, While they do work through our program that first year, we do employ them through a social enterprise that we have called Survivor Made and they make handcrafted leather goods. Um, If you can check out our website, survivormade.org, but they can start working after they've been in our program for 30 days. And this not only builds job training, but it also builds a resume so that when they are ready to start looking for something different, they actually have a resume in place on hand with a whole year previous work experience that just sets them up for some better qualifying um, jobs long-term. And then after they're in our program for a year and they graduate, they move into what we call transitional living. Um, In our first house, we do have around the clock care. So our house is staffed 24 seven, 365 days a year. Um, And they are um, very well taken care of. Um, Once they graduate, they move into transitional living for an additional year. Um, Here, our desire and what we have seen to become very effective is that they live independently still under our covering and the goal in transitional living is to enhance a career path and or go to school. And so they have an additional year to really put some roots down to have better success for that long term um, lifestyle. The amount of work and care and professionalism 
that I can imagine it would take to, first of all, just build trust with these poor women who have been through so much and can't trust anyone to go from just that building trust to helping them get on their feet and learn skills and find jobs and get back into a normal life is, is just absolutely incredible. And I'm really glad you brought up Survivor Made because um, it's such a cool program. And I was going to ask you about it later anyways. And, um, you know, human trafficking, it's its one of those things I think everyone can rally around. This is this is a bad thing. I, we need to do something about this. But it's so big, it's hard to know what, some, what to do about it a lot of times. So what I love about Survivor Made is because when you buy these products, it, one, it's coming from these women who are, you know, working on this to get back on their feet, to get these skills and, and money and everything that they need to to get back into life. And then it supports you guys and supports this program that you're helping them through. And so buying yeah. Survivor Made is a really easy way to help. And they're beautiful products. Like it's yeah. real handcrafted leather bags, earrings, keychains. Um, like we work with Tandy Leather in Fort Worth and they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful products. So mm. it's quality products that also has a really good cause and serves a tremendous purpose. I mean, these women, when they come in there and they start working, um, they fill out their paperwork. Some of them never even had a real job before, you know, and so this is their first real job ever. And then it has a therapeutic aspect to it as well, where they are the occupational therapy, they're working with their hands, they're able to create something and earn an income, you know, um, and our program's free. We don't charge our residents to come through our program. So they get to save all of that money while they're working through our program. So they have money in their savings account to really help set them apart once they complete our program. So important. I love that. Thank so that's number three. That's number three. Number three. We've made it that we made it this far. Number yep. four. What's the <laughs> fourth most important thing people need to know? I think the fourth most important thing that people need to know when it was a new law that went into effect this year is that sex buying in the state of Texas is now a felony charge. Um, I will say that uh, I'm very proud to be a Texan for multiple reasons, and this is definitely one of them. Texas is the first state in the nation to uh, make sex buying a criminal felony charged crime. Um, And what that has allowed law enforcement to do is to be able to continue to up their operations, to be able to have more accountability when it comes to the perpetrators, uh, you know, on the demand side of things. Um, And it's also giving them um, just a more stable foundation to build big trafficking cases against traffickers as well. So it was a huge win in our state this year, but it is now a felony charge to buy sex in the state of Texas. So way to go. Wow. You know, it's, that's so interesting that Texas is the first to do it. And it just now happened this year. It seems like in the fight against human trafficking, making buying sex illegal would you know in a felony would be one of the most obvious (laughs) steps to do but it's taken us this long just to get to that step um i'd be curious to know kind of the thinking about why why that step now you know what other steps were taken in the before that that um did maybe didn't have the results or or the magnitude of results that we were hoping before and we just decided now's the time to make that a felony to help deter people from even seeking it out in the first place. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say that just based on my experience, I've been in working in this type of in work line for uh, 20 or 12 years now. Um, and I've just seen even our society over the last 12 years um, have gone from like, you know, these people choose to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. It only happens in third world countries. It doesn't happen in America um, to a greater awareness coming within our society, what trafficking is, what prostitution truly is, um, and the different ways that we can humanize these women who are being trafficked and we're not looking at them as what through our judgmental eyes, but we're looking at them um, with some better understanding and it's giving all law enforcement and citizens a better idea of how we can continue to um, have more services and protection for the victims so we can go after the traffickers and the sex buyers more. Um, So I just think it's been this progressive thing in our whole community and society. Denton County Sheriff's Department, they're adding two detectives to their task force this year, specifically for human trafficking cases. Um, Refuge has had a tremendous opportunity. Um, The last couple months, we've been part of some operations, um, undercover operations that have been taking place around the Metroplex. And um, you just see a lot of forward moving progress from the law enforcement side where they genuinely want to have a better understanding and do things differently um, in order to help the victims more. I think that is a testament to is the success of things like human trafficking awareness month and different awareness movements and campaigns that have been out there too. Like you said, maybe it's taken a really long time to do it, but it's chipping away at that public perception of what human trafficking is and is like and where it happens and how it happens. And so that we can get laws like that passed this year because we're becoming more informed about it. We know more now just as a collective, as a society than we did before. You know, someone like you who was in it uh, for a long time. Now we're starting to get more and more of the knowledge that you've had this whole time. Well, and that was one of the things that Refuge started doing um, a couple years ago is once we, the community rallied around us so much to get this house open and to get the, you know, services needed, um, we really wanted to find a way to give back to the community. And so twice a year, we host a Truth About Trafficking Awareness event. Um, We actually have one coming up on January 27th at 7 p.m. at First Church in Denton. And we have a panel of experts that fight this on a daily basis in the North Texas area. We have a representative from the governor's office on the child sex trafficking team, Department of Homeland Security, Denton County Sheriff's Department, a private investigator, and other agencies that provide services for victims and survivors. Um, And it's a free event. Uh, It's open to the community and it's extremely informative. It's very laid back. It's not, it's an uncomfortable topic. So I'm not gonna say it's not uncomfortable, but it is very um, empowering and educational and it's worth, worth, worth your time to come. 
Mm, that's a great resource for people to know about. If mm-hmm. you're listening and you're interested in this, just hit that rewind 15 second button <laughs> once or twice and get those details again, because yep. uh, or go to our website and, and look. Yeah. And you can register for the event there. Um, it's refugedforwomen.org. And then when you get to that homepage, just click on the North Texas location and it'll, it, there's more information there. That's perfect. That's great. Great event. Great resource. Okay. Last one. The number five most important thing people need to know about human trafficking. What is it? Um, Number five would be in the North Texas area, we have um, a major crisis and shortage on emergency beds available for victims in need of immediate services. Um, The way that refuge is currently set up um, coming into our program, we cannot take anybody in 24 seven 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, We have an interview process and a placing process to make sure that they're ready and that they're a good fit for our program. But what we do not have is that when a victim is making an outcry or we've had part of an operation or law enforcement, um, someone reaches out and needs immediate help. Um, I literally have five beds in two organizations that specialize in the Metroplex available to make referrals to. And you can imagine they're pretty much full all the time. In the Metroplex? Um, in the Metroplex. Oof, yes. man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that Refuge has the program model to support um, is that, and we're going to be moving ahead, is that by 2024, our hope and dream and desire desire is to be a solution in that area and offer 16 emergency crisis beds in the Metroplex. And so in the North Texas area, I would say that's another truth that people need to know is that we have a crisis when it comes to having no crisis beds available for women when they are in need of immediate placing and that that should not be okay. I've talked with law enforcement and they have even shared um, opportunities that they know that they could go in and do stings. But one of the things that makes it hard for them is that they know that they're not going to have anywhere to put the women when they go in. Um, Mm. and that should not be okay on our watch. Um, we have a real need in this community and we really need to do something about that. And so we're going to go for it. (laughs) I mean, that's tragic to hear that, you know, there's, it, if, like you said, uh, officers can plan a sting, know exactly what's going on, but have no idea what to do with the women after they do that. And it just makes planning and actually putting it into this stuff so much more difficult because it's like, right. well, what do you do with them once you, once you rescue them? And so I think that's great that you guys are moving ahead doing that. You know, that's your plans for going forward. How can people rally behind you to support you in that? You know, you've, you've gotten support to get your safe house and the program you have right now, and you're looking to do even more. What, I mean, obviously buy survivor made, come to your event. Yeah. What else can people do to, to support you? I mean, really, I think too, the biggest key is just to get educated on what the reality of trafficking is. And 
one of our hearts is that everyone needs to get plugged in where they know that they can be best utilized with their time, talents, and their resources. You know, if you can be a great volunteer and you know how to lead classes or um, help drive, call us, let's get involved, let's put you through some volunteer training. If you have connections um, in the Metroplex where uh, we know that we're going to need to be locking arms with different Dallas County, Tarrant County, Denton County um, locations in order to be able for us all to come together to be able to get the funding that's needed. This is no small undertaking. Um, by 2025, it's looking like our operating budget is going to be $1.8 million a year. Um, one of the things that's hard is our residents don't qualify for Medicaid in the state of Texas, but to bring somebody in in crisis takes a higher level of care um, than maybe what we have at our transitional living house. We need to have on the staff nurses and counselors, and it is a higher level staffing model. It's a higher level of a demand that comes, which obviously is going to take a higher level of funding in order to to make this happen. And so we need everybody. We need all the time. We need all the talents. We need all the treasures. If you have, if you're good at strategy, you know, we're looking at having some board members come alongside of us and really help start laying a foundation this year so that by 2024, we can successfully open the doors to an emergency house. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I definitely encourage people to rally behind you. It's such a huge need. And we have that shortage of beds of what to do with these women once they're rescued, you know, and so yeah. having that will yeah. be incredibly important for our community. Yeah. To wrap up here, if you could leave people with one thing, what would it be? Just one, one message that you want everyone to know. Do something. I think that that would definitely be my one liner is just do something, anything. Um, these women are in bondage and they do not have ways to advocate for themselves because they are monitored, they're looked at, they're followed, they are micromanaged 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so we need to be the voice for the voiceless. We need to do something in order to help these women come out and have a safe place and a new start and a fresh start in life. Mm. I couldn't agree more. I think it's important and that's what we want to do is help people understand these issues, understand how they can get involved and do something and help be part of the change and make our community better because that's when you're helping people, you're making their lives better. And that's what you guys are doing. And so for people to rally around you would be incredible. So Abby, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate talking with you again here on the podcast. Every time I see you in the office, such a wonderful <laughs> smile and light uh, for all of us to see. And so I just uh, thank you for all that you do and, uh, and for Refuge for Women. You guys are great. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Human trafficking is obviously a very difficult topic to talk about and think about, but Refuge for Women is doing an amazing job helping these women out of this, get back on their feet, learn life skills, and start to get something like a normal life back. It's it's amazing. As you heard, there's a couple ways you can support them by either buying Survivor Made or supporting their new effort to get an emergency shelter up. That's such a huge need in DFW. If you want to support Served In, first of all, hit subscribe or follow on this podcast so you don't 
don't miss an episode every month when they come out. And go to our website, servedin.org. Learn more about us. Click the Donate Now button and consider joining Circle Support for as little as $10 a month. You can make a big difference supporting nonprofits to help make their services more accessible for people in need. In short, you make it easy for people to find help. And that's what we are all about. So thanks for listening. I hope you tune in for our conversation next time. And I'm excited to be back doing this. It's going to be a good time. Until next time, thanks for listening.